Chapter 17 of The Life and Adventures of Nat Love, also known as Deadwood Dick. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life and Adventures of Nat Love, written by Nat Love. Chapter 17 Another Trip to Old Mexico. I Rope an Engine. I Fall in Love. My courtship, death of my sweetheart, my promised wife. I must bear a charmed life. The advent of progress, the last of the range. On one of these memorable trips after cattle and with cattle on the trail, the one that I will most likely remember the longest was a trip to old Mexico after a herd of horses. It was on this trip that I fell in love, the first time in my life. During my wild career on the western plains I had met many handsome women, and they often made much of me, but somehow I had never experienced the feeling called love until I met my charming sweetheart in old Mexico. I had, perhaps, been too much absorbed in the wild life of the plains, in the horses and cattle which made up my world, to have the time or inclination to seek or enjoy the company of the gentler sex. But now that I had met my fate, I suppose I became as silly about it as any tenderfoot from the east could possibly be, as evidence of how badly I was hit. While on the trail with the herd, our route lay along a narrow-gauge railroad, and I was feeling up in the air, caused no doubt partly from the effects of love, and partly from the effects of Mexican whiskey, a generous measure of which I had under my belt. However, I was feeling fine. So when the little engine came puffing along in the distance, I said to the boys, I have roped nearly everything that could be roped, so now I am going to rope the engine. They tried to persuade me not to make the attempt, but I was in no mood to listen to reason or anything else. So when the engine came along, I put my spurs to my horse, and when near enough, I let fly my lariat. The rope settled gracefully around the smokestack, and as usual, my trained horse set himself back for the shock, but the engine set both myself and my horse in the ditch, and might have continued to set us in places had not something given way. As it was, the rope parted, but the boys said afterwards that they thought they would have to send for a wrecking train to clean the track, or rather, the ditch. Roping a live engine is by long odds worse than roping wild buffalo on the plains, or Uncle Sam's cannon at the forts. This incident cleared the atmosphere somewhat, but my love was as strong as ever, and I thanked my lucky stars she did not see me as they dragged me out of the ditch. I first saw my sweetheart as we were driving the herd along the dusty road, passing a small adobe house near the city of Old Mexico. I saw a handsome young Spanish girl standing in the yard, and I suppose I fell in love with her at first sight. Anyway, I pretended to be very thirsty and rode up and asked her for a drink. She gave it to me, and I exchanged a few words with her before joining the boys and the herds. After that I saw her quite often during my stay in old Mexico before we again returned home. One day, shortly before I was to leave for the north, I went to see her, and overheard a conversation between her and her mother, in which her mother said to her, "'My daughter, will you leave your mother for to go with a wild cowboy?' And she answered, no, mother, I will not leave you to go with any wild cowboy. On hearing this, I bid her good-bye and a long farewell, as I told her I did not expect to ever see her again. 
Then, leaping to the back of my faithful horse, I rode like mad across the Mexican plains until I had somewhat cooled down. But it was a hard blow to me, as I truly loved her. After that I joined the boys and returned up the trail with them. Six or seven months later we were again in old Mexico with a herd of cattle and went in camp some distance out from the city, and as soon as she heard our outfit had returned she rode out to the camp, and after looking around and not seeing me she said to the camp boss, "'Where is the wild cowboy that was here with you last time? Did he not come up the trail with you?' The boss told her I had come up the trail, but that I had not been seen since crossing the last mountains.' as of course he knew whom she meant, as my little love affair was pretty generally known among the boys. When the boss told her that I had not been seen since they had crossed the last mountains, she hung her head and looked completely heartbroken. I was lying in the mess wagon at the time, an interested spectator of all that took place, and seeing her looking so downhearted, I could hardly restrain myself from jumping out of the wagon and taking her in my arms. After a time she slowly raised her head and looked long and wistfully up the trail. Then, turning to the camp boss, again she said, "'Camp boss, tell me truly if Nat Love works with you, and did he come on this trip with you?' The boss answered her as before that I had not been seen since crossing the last mountains, which was true as I had been riding in the mess wagon. On hearing the boss's answer she took it as final and started to ride away." I thought it high time to make my presence known, as with the sight of her all my old love returned, and I forgot everything except that I loved her. So I jumped out of the wagon, exclaiming, Here I am, and in a minute we were locked in each other's arms, and I believe I kissed her before all the boys, but I didn't care. She was mine now. We became engaged, and were to be married in the fall, and were to make our home in the city of Mexico. But in the spring she took sick and died. Her death broke me all up, and after I buried her I became very wild and reckless, not caring what happened to me, and when you saw me in the saddle you saw me at home, and while I saw many women since I could never care for any as I did for her, and I vainly tried to forget her and my sorrow in the wild life of the plains and every danger I could find, courting death and fights with Indians and Mexicans and daredevil riding on the range but it seemed to me that I bore a charmed life. Horses were shot from under me, men were killed around me, but always I escaped with a trifling wound at the worst. As time passed, I began to recover from my disappointment and to take my old interest in the work of the ranch, and as my reputation had spread over the country, I did not lack work, but was kept on the go all the time, first with one large cattle owner, then with another most of my working being in the round-ups and brandings, brand-reading, and with large herds on the trail, as during my long experience in the cattle country I had traveled every known trail, and over immense stretches of country where there was no sign of a trail, nothing but the wide expanse of prairie, bare except for the buffalo grass, with here and there a lone tree or a giant cactus, standing as a lone sentinel in the wildest of long stretches of grazing land, rolling away in billows of hill and gully, like the waves of the ocean. Likewise, I could read, identify, and place every brand or mark placed on a horse or steer between the Gulf of Mexico and the borders of Canada on the north, and from Missouri to California. Over this stretch of country I have often traveled with herds of horses or cattle, or in searching for strays, or hunting the noble buffalo on his own native feeding grounds. 
The great buffalo slaughter commenced in the West in 1874, and in 1877 they had become so scarce that it was a rare occasion when you came across a herd containing more than fifty animals, where before you could find thousands in a herd. Many things were responsible for the slaughter, but the principal reason that they had now become so scarce was that in 1875 and 1876 the Indians started to kill them in large numbers for their skins. Thousands were killed by them, skinned, and the carcasses left as food for the wolves and vultures of the prairie. Many were killed by the white hunters to furnish meat for the railroad graders and the troops at the frontier forts, while the big cattle ranches were always kept well supplied with buffalo meat. On the stock of my rifle is 126 notches, each one representing a fine buffalo that has fallen to my own hand, while some I have killed with a knife and forty-five colts I forgot to cut a notch for. Buffalo hunting, a sport for kings, thy time has passed. Where once they roamed by the thousands now rises the chimney and the spire, while across their once peaceful path now thunders the iron horse, awakening the echoes far and near with bell and whistle, where once could only be heard the sharp crack of the rifle or the long, doleful yelp of the coyote. At the present time the only buffalo to be found are in the private parks of a few men who are preserving them for pleasure or profit. With the march of progress came the railroad, and no longer were we called upon to follow the longhorn steers or mustangs on the trail, while the immense cattle ranges stretching away in the distance as far as the eye could see now began to be dotted with cities and towns, and the cattle industry which once held a monopoly in the West now had to give way to the industry of the farm and the mill. To us wild cowboys of the range, used to the wild and unrestricted life of the boundless plains, the new order of things did not appeal, and many of us became disgusted and quit the wild life for the pursuits of our more civilized brother. I was among that number, and in 1890 I bid farewell to the life which I had followed for over twenty years. It was with genuine regret that I left the Longhorn Texas cattle and the wild mustangs of the range, but the life had in a great measure lost its attractions, and so I decided to quit it and try something else for a while. During my life so far I had no chance to secure an education except the education of the plains and the cattle business. In this I recognized no superior being. Gifted with a splendid memory and quick observation, I learned and remembered things that others passed by and forgot, and I have yet to meet the man who can give me instruction in the phases of a life in which I spent so long. After quitting the cowboy life, I struck out for Denver. Here I met and married the present Mrs. Love, my second love. We were married August twenty-second, 1889, and she is with me now a true and faithful partner, and says she is not one bit jealous of my first love, who lies buried in the city of old Mexico. One year later, in 1890, I accepted a position in the Pullman service on the Denver and Rio Grande Railroad, running between Denver and Salida, Colorado. The Pullman service was then in its infancy, so to speak, as there was as much difference between the Pullman sleeping cars of those days and the present as there is between the ox team and the automobile. End of chapter 17